0: of MIDI patients get relief from symptoms within just two months. Book your virtual visit today at joinmidi.com
1: Spin your passion into a business with Shopify and break sales records with the world's best converting checkout. Let's hear that one more time. The world's best converting checkout. Shopify's legendary checkout makes it easier for customers to shop on your website, across social media, and everywhere in between. Now that's music to your ears any way you spin it you can be a smash hit with shopify start your dollar a month trial today at shopify.com records
2: hello everyone and welcome back to the legends of sport podcast i'm your host andy bernstein and we have an awesome guest for all of you today a man I have photographed for 20 years in the NBA, a true legend of sport, the great Jamal Crawford. Jamal is best known for his killer crossover move and being the master of the four-point play. In fact, he owns the record for most four-point plays in NBA history. A complete player on both sides of the court, a terrific teammate, and a philanthropist. Jamal is a three-time winner of the NBA's Sixth Man of the Year Award. That's a title he shares with Lou Williams. In 20 NBA seasons with nine teams, Jamal has the distinction of scoring 50 or more points for four different teams, and in fact, he's the oldest player in NBA history to score 50 or more points. Jamal is only the second player in NBA history to score 10,000 or more points off the bench. While playing in Phoenix in 2018-19, Jamal became only the second player in NBA history to record three games of 25 or more points in consecutive games in his 19th season. That's a record he shares with one of his heroes, the Mamba, the great Kobe Bryant. Jamal and I had a really fun conversation about everything from his start in basketball to working out with Michael Jordan after he was drafted to playing against MJ and Kobe and what he learned from them about greatness, which was his favorite team to play on, athlete activism, and so much more. We talked about his love for his hometown of Seattle and how he's confident they will get an NBA team back soon, and how he has been giving back to his community for years with his annual Summer Crossover League. So sit back, everyone, and enjoy this episode with Jamal Crawford, and as always, I'll see you on the backside. Welcome to Jamal Crawford to the Legends of Sport podcast, one of my favorite guys. How you doing, man?
1: i'm doing great i don't know if i should be on legends of sport but you are so i think we, we get a pass to get in the door of the legends hey there.
2: jamal have you read your resume i mean come on
1: no, no, <laughs> are you kidding no, me 20 years man, in, like, in the league just dreaming man i used to dream about this like i, I literally dreamed about being in the nba wow like every single day of my life it's, it's crazy i heard uh a song yesterday when I was driving says everybody everybody when I was 10 years old and so at the time I remember going to a, a Sonics game or a Laker game and mm-hmm. I remember hearing that song in the arena so my thought was all pros listen to this song so when I would go back and listen to it, like this is what the pros do I gotta listen to this to get to the pros so it's just it's crazy how life works out
2: that's amazing well I, yeah I wanted to get into where it all started for you and so let's jump ahead and do that okay so yeah. Where did the love for basketball start? I mean, you're from Seattle. Yeah. Tell us the whole story here.
1: So I've had a basketball in my hands ever since I was two years old, mm-hmm. like literally. And it's it's amazing because my dad played. He played, he was all city in Los Angeles. And then he went to the University of Oregon and he played with Kevin Love's dad, Stan Love. Oh. Oh. So I've always been around basketball. I've always been around basketball. And I, I, when I was a kid, my one carry-on on the plane would be a basketball. When I went to sleep, it was in the bed with me. I took it every single place I went. And so that love just developed and developed. And there was a certain joy. I would go mimic moves that I would see on TV from Dr. J or Isaiah or Magic or Jordan. And, like, just try to do it. And I would go outside in the backyard. I loved it because it was something you could do with people or by yourself. Mm-hmm. You know, so I spent so many hours by myself more than anything, just dribbling or shooting or doing the countdown three, two, one <laughs> and shooting and practicing those, you know, those moments. And, and so for me, the love has always been there. I remember I, I played baseball at eight years old. I played football at eight years old and I started basketball on, on club teams. And basketball was the one that was a total different joy, and it's just it's still to this day, and it's mm. amazing.
2: That's wonderful. So, did you grow up a Sonics? I mean, you had to be a Sonics yeah,
1: fan, right? Yeah, absolutely. of course. I grew up. Yeah. Gary Payton was the guy, right? So mm. uh, Gary Payton, Sean Kemp, that whole era. Mm-hmm. And then when I moved to L.A., obviously I would go to the Laker games, sneak in the Great Western Forum, <laughs> which was unbelievable building, and and see you know Nick Van Axel or Eddie Jones or. Cedric Sabala's and then magic when he came back so just so many different memories
2: yeah well, how old were you when you moved to LA
1: well I moved two different times so mm-hmm. I moved the first time uh fifth to eighth grade mm-hmm. I'm sorry I got that wrong I went for I was in Seattle fourth and fifth grade I was in LA mm-hmm. I moved back to Seattle mm-hmm. then I went back to LA from eighth to tenth grade
2: oh gotcha
3: yeah wow. so
1: two different times yeah
2: and where did you do high school
1: uh, high school was Dorsey High School, and yeah. then Morningside. Oh. yeah, I lived in Englewood.
2: Yeah. Oh man, see, I didn't, I didn't realize that. I thought you were see? just a Seattle guy from beginning to end. Before through and
1: then, through right, I, I am, but yeah. I had two different stints in L.A. That's
2: yeah. <laughs> so interesting. So the crossover, did that come early? I mean, did you watch Tim Hardaway? I mean, what was you know was where really, did that come I, from?
1: I watched Tim Hardaway. I watched Isaiah Thomas. Mm-hmm. Uh, I watched Allen Iverson. I remember being when I got, you know, 15, 16, in Allen Iverson's rookie year. And this is before like the internet, right? Yeah. So the internet was just kind of kicking off. And I remember going into our school library, and the internet took like 10 minutes to load up to watch a five second clip, you know. And I did that to watch Allen Iverson's crossover and study it. Then I replayed it, or replayed it, or replayed it. And, and so, you know, I just, I was always intrigued with ball hailing, but I think Isaiah Thomas was the first person that had me so intrigued. Then Tim Hardaway came, then Allen Iverson came. Unbelievable. It just went from there.
2: Well, yeah. you talk, you're talking th- three legends right there. Yeah, and, and those, absolutely. You can em- emulate anybody, any one of those guys. Would be, um, would be amazing. So, Jamal, were you recruited, like highly recruited out of high school? I mean, I know you ended up going to Michigan, but like why didn't yeah. you go to UW or like what, what happened? Yeah,
1: there? I was. I actually was. Uh, I came on the scene late. Mm -hmm. You know, so eighth through 10th grade, I was in L.A. Mm -hmm. I moved back to Seattle and then I I played. I only played my last two years of high school. My first couple of years, I wasn't as focused on school. So even though I made the team, I didn't get a chance to play because my grades weren't up too far. Mm -hmm. So then my last two years, I I made up for it. and, And that's when the recruiting started heavy the last year. And I had choices from. Uh, Michigan to UCLA to Washington those are my three finals and then Fresno State just the great Tark was there mm-hmm. right mm-hmm. yeah he was there he recruited me and actually committed to him early yeah. and so I had different choices but Michigan the Fab Five with Jalen Rose those guys I always dreamed about going to Michigan since I was a kid so when the opportunity came and, and had the opportunity to go and great university get a chance to play right away it was a no-brainer for me I committed early actually yeah, yeah. And yeah.
2: Then, then you you ended up playing one year. You declared for the draft, yeah. um, 2000 draft, right? And yeah. you were eighth, picked eighth by Cleveland. A draft yeah. night Great. trade. You ended up with Chicago, yeah. right? So how did how did that feel to end up going to Chicago? Like right after the, the second three-peat? I mean, this was supposedly yeah. rebuilding a year time. Or two after. Yeah, yeah. It,
1: it was amazing. And, and the funny story is the day of the draft. You know, it was in Minnesota that year before they moved it to New York full time. And the day of the draft, you go eat and do all this stuff. And I'm wearing Bulls gear the whole time. It was so weird. I had the Bulls practice shirt. They gave me the Bulls practice shorts, some Jordans. And I wore it the whole day. And, and it, it cra- it's crazy. It worked out that way. Hmm. Right. And, and then going to Chicago, obviously, Michael Jordan my favorite player ever. So the Bulls after the Sonics was my favorite team. Mm-hmm. Right. And, mm-hmm. and they be, actually overtook the Sonics being my favorite team. And so to have the opportunity to play for a team, I've seen so much, and, and to you know go to Chicago, the house that Michael built was just an amazing thing.
2: Oh, I can I can imagine. So yeah. a, a natural segue then to the great MJ, um, and I, I read that that your dad actually told you that yeah. that MJ had his eyeballs on you. What is the yeah, story with that?
1: Crazy story, Drew is yeah. is is uh my dad during the draft process when I put my name in the draft. My dad, and I think at the time MJ was just starting with the Wizards as an executive in the front office. And my dad was like, hey, MJ likes your game. I'm like, yeah, right. This is not social media. Dad, you do not know Michael Jordan. What are you talking about? Like, get out of here. So it goes in in one ear out the other. Fast forward, I go to Chicago my rookie year. I know Tim Grover. And he's like, hey, MJ said you can meet him. Mm -hmm. I'm like, what? He's like, yeah. So he called me at 6.30 in the morning. I get to downtown at the gym at 7.00. In the gym, it's myself, Tim, and MJ. And MJ's doing, I'll never forget, he's doing these defensive slide drills, Mm -hmm. right? He's almost 40 years old. And at the time, I don't know he's coming back, but he's working out in the gym. It's just us three. Mm -hmm. And I'm trying to, you know, not talk too much because he's doing a workout. So I'm kind of talking as he talks in between sets. And then uh, I want to tell everybody when I leave, I leave there. We had a game that morning, by the way, or yeah, that day. So I shoot around that morning, like 10. I'm trying to tell everybody back home two hours. I just met Michael Jordan. Everybody sleeps still. Right. So, uh, I said, yeah, my dad said, you like my game? He's like, yeah, I did. I'm like, Whoa. So how my dad knew that was going to Oregon. He knew Amar Rashad, Amar Rashad ninja like this. My dad didn't tell me that Amar told him that at the time. So that's how it came <laughs> for.
2: That's a great story. Thanks for sharing yeah. that. So no I, re- I reached out to our mutual friend, Tim Grover, also a, a great, you know, guest of the podcast and friend of yeah. legends of sport. And, you know, I was privy to some of those MJ workouts. So I, I can attest to what you're talking about. I mean, this guy, like, I don't know if he ever slept. I never saw him sleep during the dream team experience ever. <laughs> so-
1: it was, uh, and it was unbelievable from a yeah. standpoint we would when I started working out with him, cause he said I could work out in that meeting with him that following summer. Mm-hmm. We would work out and we would play from, uh, two to five, let's say yeah. three hours. Yeah. Yeah. Then we, after we go eat his restaurant, 160 Blue, then he would be there. I would leave at a certain point, like 10 or 11. I'm like, okay, I need to go. He would still be there at 3, 4 in the morning and then do it all over again. I, I'd never seen him sleep either. It was unbelievable. Unbelievable. Unbelievable.
2: Yeah. Well, Tim says to say hi to you, man, because uh, he he said oh. that you one of MJ's favorite guys, and he, he loved – being around you quote his your love for basketball right and the fact that you just love to be around the game is what tim said so you know that's a great that's a great quote from a great guy so
1: that is you've definitely had some legends on and tim is a legend and mj is the legend of legends right like yeah. he yeah he's actually talked to him on christmas mm. just a, you know i sent him a text and everything check in stay connected but yeah he was he really took me under his wing, you yeah. know, allowed me to be in a commercial with him, going to his house, work out with him. He took a vested interest, so I'm so thankful for those relationships.
2: Wait a minute, wait, what, which commercial are we talking about?
1: Oh, it was the the old Michael Jordan versus the young one, the Gatorade Oh, commercial.
2: yeah, I love that commercial. Yeah. You were in that yeah, commercial?
1: I- I'll, I'll send you pictures i've never sent to anybody on, on set oh dude so, it, we yeah, will, we will definitely
2: <laughs> post those that that's awesome i got i got a youtube that and find it
1: <laughs> yeah it, it, it was me and this other guy i didn't do the dunking uh, yeah. actually a guy his name was kevin daly i believe a globe chardell the Duncan, mm-hmm. but i was talking trash to mj and playing a one-on-one it was unbelievable we shot the united center Unbelievable.
2: Yeah, that's incredible. Yeah. Wow. What an experience to have, like the rest of your life to know about. That's incredible, right?
1: Like, yeah. I mean, you don't understand. I can tell you anything about Michael growing up, yeah. from his his parents' name, his siblings' names, <laughs> the day he was born, where he was born at, his shoe size, his favorite Gatorade. So. Like, this is like my hero of all heroes to this day. So mm-hmm. to have that experience of getting a chance to know him and be around him was like something I'll never, it still doesn't feel, feel real.
2: Yeah. So did you yeah. learn anything by watching the 10 episodes of The Last Dance? Did anything like pop out at you that, well, I didn't know that because you know some what? things did for
1: me. I, I got, me. A, chance, <laughs> I you got a chance to see his competitive nature playing with him for mm-hmm. two straight summers. So that part would kind of pull behind the curtain of how competitive he is. I had seen that part. Mm. I think just the part of how he handled things as far as like the fame part of it. I mean, obviously we know how famous he is, but how it was like he had to balance that at all times. Right. Never Mm -hmm. let his guard down as as far as just being himself. And that part was like intriguing. But he was just I knew how driven he was being around him. Mm -hmm. His parents, how he was raised, that really stood out to me. To this day, if you go back and watch, his mom is saying, Mr. Jordan talking about his dad just so respectful yeah you know and it's things like that the early parts really was was intriguing to me
2: yeah I I had the the wonderful opportunity to meet his dad and know his dad from being around wow. the dream team and then I had brought my dad to the dream team in Monte wow. Carlo and Barcelona so the two dads got to know each other it was wow. it's quite a bonding experience really yeah yeah, yeah. Um, So, Jamal, you're one of the few guys that I've talked to who actually played against MJ and Kobe, right? So, I know you got MJ at the end of his career, right? And Kobe was pretty Mm -hmm. much in his prime at that time. His prime, yeah. But, like, what are the similarities in these guys? I mean, you know, the work ethic and everything. But from your perspective.
1: So, I cut. MJ late in his career, playing wise, but I had studied him and watched him so much that I could basically tell you everything just watching him. And then playing as Kobe. My rookie year was Kobe's first championship. Right. 2000, 10, 2001. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. So I, and I caught them at that time and then his whole career. And it was eerie how similar they were. <laughs> like it was um, from their size to the way they approach things, to their mentality, to their skill level, to mm. their work ethic, to their always, not only wanted to beat you, but demoralize you on the court, right? Mm. Like they wanted to take your, everything from you to leave no doubt. Like Mm. they, they never let you down watching them ever. They never, you know, they, they always went for it. And a lot of people have been compared to MJ over the years, but to me, Kobe was the one who actually went and chased it head on and embraced it. Like, Oh no, I'm going to be the greatest. Mm. And he embraced it. And I think MJ loved that about him. Mm. And I said it when Kobe came to my pro am, to me, he was this generation of Michael Jordan. Mm-hmm. Kobe was the best player I ever played against, like, period. And so it was like he put that fear in you in your arena in everything, just like MJ did. And so they were like kindred spirits. And it was no doubt that they would be that close because they're two of a kind. Mm-hmm. You know, they're one of a kind, but they're two of a kind. So people that didn't get you to play against Michael, they played against Michael through Kobe.
2: hmm Yeah. It, very well said. Um I remember those battles with you and Kobe. <laughs> not not really with Michael. I don't think I – maybe I saw you play on TV, but I, I obviously saw you play against Kobe many times and it, uh, the daunting um, task,
1: yeah. <laughs> right? He was he was the, the, the best player I, by far. Like, it, it's not even close because mm. it's his mentality. His – and I read the book, by the way, in, in one day in <laughs> Phoenix. When I was in Phoenix when so it came out. But his mentality, his – his skill level and his work ethic and his, his, his the fearlessness of him. Right. Mm-hmm. He was fearless. Like mm-hmm. he was fearless and he's, he was just unbelievable. He was, he had no weaknesses. He was always trying to get better. Mm-hmm. Uh, he, I mean, me and you can talk to some things i never told, but like he told me conversations about, he would, he would have a Michael Jackson mm-hmm. just about like, you know, like picking his brain about being great and being the greatest and how meticulous he was with different things. Mm-hmm. Like, mm-hmm. And, and just like conversations me and Kobe had over the years, our relationship grew so much, mm-hmm. right? From playing against each other to actually texting and talking and just, yeah, he was special, 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 special person.
2: Yeah. You know, you're talking about one of the pillars of the Mamba mentality, which is curiosity, which people don't really consider with with the greats, that they're constantly right. curious about everything around them, you know, right. and everything outside of them you know so if yes. he reaches out to yeah. Michael Jackson or if Kobe reaches out to John Williams these are greats in their profession he wants to know what makes them tick you know
1: yes it's, yes
2: I mean that blew me away when we were doing the book together and he would tell me some stories of, and he would tell me stories about my own pictures you know like what was going on in that picture I'm like seriously I mean
1: <laughs> okay so I wasn't gonna say this Andy, yeah. but you're absolutely right so he texts me One of his last years. Mm -hmm. I've never told this. I'm telling you because I know how special he is to you and he's special to us. Thank you. He texts me, I think it was his last year. And he was like uh, the year before, towards the end. Mm -hmm. And he texts me like, how are you still moving so fast? Like, how are you still moving so quick? What are you doing? He wants to know like the regimen of what I was doing (laughs) to still be like moving like that. And I was blown away. Like, I was like, wow, Like this is unbelievable. But you're right. It all comes back to curiosity.
2: Yeah, incredible. Well, yeah. I'm glad you brought that up, Ben, because I actually wanted to lead off this conversation with this. But, you know, 20 years in the league, right? You look fantastic. I know your work ethic, and I know you, at a moment's notice, would be ready to jump I'm into to the go. league. So let me ask you this question. Why are you not in the league <laughs> from your
3: perspective? To be honest,
1: Andy, I really believe that with the league getting younger, mm-hmm. I believe and I hate to say it this way, but I believe vets are kind of being pushed out a little bit. And it's it's a sad thing, not for myself. I've had a long career, so not for me, but for the generations come behind. This mm-hmm. is the way it's going to be, because if you look at it right and you're a legend in your profession, but I'm sure you didn't become a legend by yourself. I'm sure there was somebody you looked towards like, OK, that's how you do it. that's how you do it. It kind of gives you a foundation for what you need to do. Mm-hmm. Right. And, and, and we say experience is the best teacher, which is true. But if you can learn from a veteran in whatever craft it is, before you actually do it, it's going to save you time, it's going to Mm -hmm. save you energy, it's going to give you a solid foundation to move forward. I didn't learn how to be a pro until I played with Charles Oakley Mm
3: -hmm. or Scotty
1: Pippen or Rick Brunson or Kendall Gill about not just being on time, being on time is being early, Mm -hmm. dressing a certain way, like all those things professionals do to carry themselves a certain way and a certain standard. And I didn't know it was the blind leading the blind. The first two years in the league mm-hmm. with the Bulls, we're the youngest team in the league. So I didn't have an example to look towards. Right. when I saw those pros about how you take care of yourself. And that, that gave me a solid footing moving forward. And I think that's underrated. And I don't think people think about that when they, when they talk about players that have been in the league for a while. Mm-hmm. They look at the stats and the numbers. But that's just part of the, the, the big puzzle.
2: Yeah, and plus you need that presence in the locker room. You for know, sure. like, just like you said, the young guys look up to you. You know, you. as far as I know about you, you were never really about minutes. You know, you adjusted oh, no, to coming no. off the bench probably easier than any guy that i ever been around. You know, you were a starter a lot most of your career before you came right. off the bench. Three times, you know, sixth man of the year. I mean, that says a lot about your character, the, will, the willingness to just kind of put yourself aside for the good of the team, right?
1: i would think so i I, I actually i won teammate of the year two years ago (laughs) and to me that was more impressive than the six mans because that's truly in the whole league by the way i didn't know they gave an award for this i didn't know either yeah they presented me with the uh, twyman stokes teammate of the year award and so (laughs) when they gave it to me i was like blown away because Mm. that's not only uh, you know wanting something for you it's for your teammates and you care more about them than your own success and you really want them to do the best and it would be impressive if you got it just for your team, but mm-hmm. to get it for the whole league, where your peers around the league voted for that, yeah, I think that says more than any award you can win, you know, individually.
2: Yeah, for sure. Congrats on that. I wasn't didn't Thank even you. realize that. Um, yeah. <clears throat> so Jamal, right now we're in the pandemic, right? The NBA starts up. You know, you win the bubble. Unfortunately, you got hurt you with Brooklyn. I think you only played one game. Yeah, and then the phone didn't ring. Right, and we're in the pandemic, and. I read recently you, that you see a solution to these games getting canceled, right? The fact that teams have to field an X number of players for the roster, you know, to be a viable team. And, and you know, what's what in your mind is the solution to that?
1: Well, for me, I think, obviously, uh, there's players out there that can help. Uh, there's no reason why a guy like Isaiah Thomas isn't signed, mm. right? Or uh, Mike Beasley or Kyle Korver. Right, these are guys who are like proven pros. They've been around for a while, and I'm not saying, uh, you know, obviously they didn't get signed right now. But if you look at with the situation, instead of canceling games, if you had a pool of players, and it doesn't have to be just those guys in the vets, it can be guys in the G League. And it's going to be a short term basis, obviously. Mm-hmm. But if you can have a pool of players you can pull from to keep the games going until the guys that are missing get back, I think that is a way for you know games to still be played, TV revenue still come in. Uh, still give those vets an opportunity. A guy like Tyson Chandler, what big man wouldn't want to learn from a guy like Tyson Chandler He's a champion, mm-hmm. great teammate, proven pro, uh, keeps himself ready. You know, he's going to lead guys in the right direction. That's invaluable. Mm-hmm. And so I figured just with, you know, having the, that pool of players mm-hmm. that are proven, I would think that would help some of the solution anyway.
2: Yeah, I, I totally agree with you. I mean, I think um, it's a great solution I was intrigued and kind of mystified by the reaction to what you suggested. Like somebody wrote about um, that that fielding non-competitive patchwork rosters was going right. to kind of bring the leagues down, the credibility or whatever. I mean, I would rather see a patchwork roster than have a game get canceled.
1: <laughs> uh, I, I, I'm with you. Yeah. I'm with you. And it's, it's not that you have to keep this. All year, right? It's yeah. just as things come up, you keep right. a pool of players. They may be in a bubble where you know they're healthy and safe and yeah. training and ready to go, and you, you know you get them in there and, and keep the games going.
2: So Jamal, it's safe to say, phone rings, you're ready to go, right? I mean, oh, absolutely. End 100%. of story. Okay, so end of story. We are gonna we we are gonna promote that. I mean, you don't need <laughs> me to do it, but. If it no. helps, we're going to do it. Because <laughs> I no, would love no, to no. see you back in the league. I don't care where it is, man.
1: I, I don't either. I, I, was, I followed the ball. <laughs> dude,
2: I was excited to see you in the bubble. And then you were hurt before I got there and I never got to see you. So, uh, no, yeah. I know.
1: I was so excited to go there too. And it's it's amazing because, to be honest with you, that injury didn't happen on the court. Mm. It started um, lifting weights. I'm notorious for never lifting weights. And it mm-hmm. started in the weight room. I may have done a little bit too much. And then. Yeah. I kind of triggered it, and that's when it happened. But, uh-huh. yeah, now I'm ready to go.
2: I ah, didn't know. Well, that's why I don't lift weights because I don't get –
1: Yeah, I don't either. I'm, I'm a lot older up. than you. <laughs>
2: <laughs> so, Jabal, let me ask you this, man. You you played for nine teams, right? Can you can you tell me, like, which was either the most fun team to play with or the best memories you have? Because I remember you mostly, of course, with the Clippers because I saw yeah. you all every night. Um, which one sticks out for you the most?
1: The Clippers, for sure. Yeah. I think that was the best team I was ever on. I think yeah. uh, that was our chance to win a championship mm-hmm. in one of those years. I would say, and it's probably the most fun. It's funny, SportsCenter just made a tweet uh, the other day about Lob City mm-hmm. and just all the highlights and stuff. And I was like, I put a question mark. Is this the the most exciting team mm-hmm. you know in that generation? Like it was it was unbelievable when you have Blake and DJ and Chris and JJ shooting threes and. You know, me trying to do my thing as well. Like, just all those different personalities blend together. Mm-hmm. It's just an exciting time. So, mm-hmm. I would say the Clippers and I think the Knicks was fun because it was almost like a performance. Mm-hmm. It was always like you're on stage. I remember one time Samuel L. Jackson uh, came to a game and I wasn't playing, and he looked across the court, and he's like, you're not playing. I'm like, no, nah, my hands hurt. He's like, oh, like, I only came to watch you play. And that was pretty <laughs> cool. Like, so yeah, uh, it was always like you're performing, right? So the Garden, playing with the Knicks and the, and the Clippers, were my my funnest times ever playing in the NBA.
2: That's awesome. Yeah, Kobe, of course, always talked about the Garden being mecca for him. that, yeah. that was like the mecca of basketball. You know, he came in at the Forum, which was kind of I thought was the mecca, but obviously MSG was the mecca. And uh, he had some of his greatest games. MJ had some of his greatest games in the oh, for garden. for sure. It is a different remember, different aura when you go in that building,
1: right? Oh, it's like a, it's a performance, right? It's theater. It's, it's, it's everything. I remember yeah. uh, we played Kobe, and he had became the youngest player ever to score 20,000 points in the garden. And mm-hmm. we were down like 25, and I scored 30 in the second half. Yeah. And uh, <laughs> we ended up losing by three. But after the game, this video of him coming to hug me, and I think that was the time where – he got, got a different respect for me mm. uh, as far as athletically. And then, you know, I kind of was coming to my own at the time. And, and that's where our relationship kind of really started. That was c it. Yeah, yeah.
2: Yeah. Amazing, right? Um, yeah. Yeah. I remember being with him 2009-10 uh, t- and I was embedded with the team. Phil and I, Phil Jackson and I were working on our book, Journey to the Ring. And I was mm-hmm. on every road trip. And that's where I took that picture of him, like in the ice, you know, that black and white one Yeah. where Phil calls it the thinker, like Rodin's thinker, you know, and yeah. <laughs> he was beat up, man. We had played in Cleveland the night before. We, I'm not, I'm not playing, but no, they had, yeah, they we, had played. We're, we're playing, and, yeah. and look, you know how it is. You play in Cleveland. I think it was in one of those 830 starts and
1: mm-hmm. TV you know, game. Yeah. yeah
2: post-game interviews, blah, blah, blah. don't get on the plane until like one thirty, two 2 o'clock in the morning. And then you're at the hotel at like 5 o'clock. You got to game it the next day. It takes a while day.
1: to go to sleep. Yeah, they say. <laughs>
2: Insane. People people really don't get it. You know, they think that NBA athletes, they're coddled, they're, you know, taking care of, blah, blah, blah. But nobody understands what the rigors of doing this job really is. You know, oh, it's
1: something else. Sometimes you'll yeah. wake up like, where am I? You'll yeah. wake up like, what's my room number? You'll wake up like, what day is it? Yeah. Like, the different time zones and you're just exhausted. And even you don't know you're that exhausted until you, you you're on the plane watching film and you doze yeah. off in your sleep and you wake up. Right. It's yeah. like, it's amazing. It's yeah. amazing.
2: And sometimes you're in cities. You don't even spend the night there. Like you fly no. in after a back to back, you get to your hotel, maybe take a nap, then you're shoot around. Then you have a game then you fly somewhere else. You fly I mean,
1: somewhere else. It's, a, it's, it's a like, wacky. That's just life, right?
2: Yeah. It's a wacky existence. <laughs> So, Jamal, I want to, I want to talk about the crossover leak and um sure. and incorporate your love for Seattle here. So, I want to first let's talk about Seattle because okay. I love Seattle. I love going to Seattle. I loved having three teams in that I-5 corridor where we had Vancouver, you know, in Portland, Seattle, yeah, going right. up and Seattle, down. Portland. Yeah. And the fan base obviously devastated when um the Sonics left. I had Gary Payton on very early in the podcast, and um, he, he, he's just devastated. I mean, he, he said, you know, my, my legacy is erased. And I said, no, let's not go that far. I mean, there's people who remember everything about you, and the right. Sonics will be back. I mean, do you, you know, yes, now that they have a hockey team, Key Arena has been, you know, redone, are you confident that, that the city will get a team back?
1: Very confident. And I talked to some people beforehand, before the hockey team came, mm-hmm. And they said the hockey team was a big thing. So getting the hockey team, getting the arena uh, redone, I believe leads us to getting the Sonics back. Mm-hmm. And I, I wholeheartedly believe that. I believe it more now mm-hmm. than I have you know, previous years. Mm-hmm. And seeing the Sonics growing up, seeing Gary, seeing Sean, I mean, these guys going to the finals, right, to play yeah. against MJ, the city was electric, mm-hmm. right? And it's, it's funny, um, <laughs> Russell Wilson, Bobby Wagner, Cliff Averill, all these Seahawks came to the game when uh, KD and Golden State came here and played a game here. Mm-hmm. Uh, That's right. Two years ago, yes, right? Yes, yes, yes. And the city was electric, and mm-hmm. it got to the point the football players were like, is this what it's like to have the Sonics back here? Like, they <laughs> hadn't experienced it. I'm like, man, it's crazy. And they're like, oh, we have to get the Sonics back here. Yeah. They had never seen it like that.
2: That's crazy. So
1: we've been to an NBA game here. So mm-hmm. uh, getting, getting the hockey team, I, I believe, is a necessary step, and I think it's a hopeful step. And then the crossover – uh, mm-hmm. is everything right now because it's the closest we have to nba basketball mm-hmm. so what i do is i go in the community and ask the kids who they want to see whether it be kevin durant or chris Paul or blake griffin or kobe bryant kobe stopped by mm-hmm. and so like and he came by on a whim i'll tell you that story in a minute but <laughs> so that it's free for everybody and mm-hmm. the kids who have never seen these pro players their favorite players in person mm-hmm. they either have to drive to portland they see him on Sports Center, or they see him on NBA TV, or they play 2K with him. Mm. So to see these favorite players in person, right there, talking to him, interacting with him, smiling at him, having some type of exchange is everything to them to, to keep you know the motivation going. And so. You know, that's why the crossover right now is so important until we get the Sonics back.
2: Yeah. What was the genesis of crossover? Was it Pro-Am before and then you took it over or what happened there?
1: It was Doug Christie's Pro-Am. Oh, okay. And I was a kid yeah. when I was 16 years old. I was one of only two high school kids he allowed to play in. it. Okay. And as he got further in his career, you know, I had grown up in it, played in it every single summer. Mm-hmm. He was like, I want you to specifically take it over. And he thought I would do right by it, being that it meant so much to me playing it as a kid. I said, okay. you know, And mm-hmm. I took that on in 2003, thousand three, four, right around there. Mm-hmm. And we just grew it. We It went from a time where it was at different community centers every week. So it was tough to keep a fan base. It wasn't social media at the time. Mm-hmm. We just moved around any gym that would allow us until we got to a steady presence. We moved it to my high school and then we moved it to a community center. And then we moved to Seattle Pacific mm-hmm. and that's where it's located now. It's been there since 2013. So we're going on Uh, eight, nine years there
2: now. Are you thinking you're going to still be able to, I know you didn't do it last summer because of the pandemic. What about this summer?
1: This summer, it all depends where we're at. We just moved to phase two yesterday, actually. So if we're there Mm -hmm. and it's safe for everybody, safety's Mm -hmm. first. If we're there and it's safe, we'll be there. Uh, But if not, we'll we'll wait another summer and then, you know, hopefully things are back normal then.
2: Yeah, I, I got to come up because I've heard so many great things about it. Yeah, you have to. And, you know, I've been to Drew League. I've never been to Rucker Park, but I, I've heard that, the, you know, it's one of those three interchangeable um, as, in terms of great summer leagues to see. So you got to tell me this Kobe story. So what happened uh, oh, with the Mamba? Okay.
1: So we, we are playing in a celebrity softball game. Richard Sherman's actually.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Kobe's there. Macklemore is there. Russell, everybody's there. But Kobe and kobe is the star of stars right <laughs> so we're back there and obviously we had the relationship you know but it wasn't as like cement or tight at that time so i'm still a little nervous talking to him. this is still kobe right yeah. you know what it's like you've seen everybody and so you know he's warming up i'm warming up we're kind of talking we're talking about different things that's when he told me about michael and you know different things and and so towards the end of it i really started let my hair down and gary's there so Gary is like a big brother to me. Peyton is like a big brother. He's a big brother to Kobe. Yeah. So all three of us are talking. Now I'm like getting more comfortable because Gary's here, right? So it's not <laughs> just me and Kobe talking. And so I said, finally, it's getting like 3 o'clock, 4 o'clock. The game was supposed to start at like 5.30 in my game, basketball game, because I was going from softball to basketball. Yeah. And it's like 4 o'clock. I'm like, Kobe, man, every time somebody comes to Seattle, they want me to ask them to come to Pro-Am. And everybody thinks you are coming to Pro-Am anyway. And he kind of starts chuckling. I said, would you come? He's like, are you going to play? Or you're going? I said, yeah. I said, he said, I'll be there. Hmm. And the guy from Nike, I won't say who it was, the person he was with, was like, no, Kobe, we got to get back to L.A. <laughs> yeah. The plane leaves at this time. He's like, no, push the plane back. and go going to watch Jamal play. So he brought me. I mean, he brought his wife, his daughters. He brought everybody. He came to watch me play. And to this day, that was my highest scoring game at Pro-Am. Right. And you, hit, and, you hit, and you hit the game winner, right? Yeah, 63 <laughs> points. But I was so nervous because their car was following me over to Pro-Am. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm calling everybody in the car. I'm like, "Oh my gosh, Kobe's behind me!" You know, I'm I'm still a fan, so I'm like, "Kobe's behind me." Um, he's coming to pro am, so I tweeted out and the stand ovation when he walked in. He was so gracious and mm. so unbelievable. And Andy, he had a million reasons at that moment to say, "Hey, I'll come back another time." Hey, thanks for letting me know, but I can't make it. Yeah. He made he made it happen, and my respect from that level with him went totally different. And it was just unbelievable and i have uh, other stories because our friendships really took off after i start texting and everything and Mm. really really cool that's
2: that's a wonderful story one thing i gotta know though because i've never asked anybody this what were his softball skills like (laughs) i didn't know that Mamba played softball
1: he batted left-handed
2: no way
1: i think he was in the home run derby and he hit a lefty home run
2: Yeah,
3: Yeah. he had his hat
1: backwards like Griffey. I think there's footage of him. He had a lefty home run. This guy, he could do everything. He was was unbelievable.
2: Yeah, back in the day, Magic used to have a a softball game. And same thing, all, you know, it's Hollywood, so all the celebs would come out and everything. And it was one of the most fun afternoons of the year for me. Because, mm-hmm. you know, I just go out and shoot it. But, you know, just seeing everybody just let loose, have fun. Um, and for a good cause, of course, you know. Exactly.
1: Did you did you shoot Midsummer Night's Magic? Every year. Every year. I used year. to go to that. And I remember Michael at the end when they have their, like, dunk off, right? Yep. And, and yep. Yep. Magic would get Michael to dunk. I remember being a kid. I think I was 10 or 11 whenever I was in L.A., 4th and 5th grade. And yeah. went to one of them. Yeah. This is when Michael had the blue jersey on. Right. And it looked like... You had him taken the picture.
2: Of course. I, I literally, behind me right here on my light table, is a whole stack of Midsummer Night's Magic photos for two reasons. One, um, somebody from Magic's office is coming and looking at a lot of my archival stuff. And two, I reached out to Rob Lowe to get him on the podcast because I, I heard his podcast with Magic and talking about that game when he coached. And he had his, like, he looked like Pat Riley, like, hair slicked back, he had the Armani suit on. So I spent yesterday looking through these photos to send to Rob. So it's hilarious that you bring that
1: up. You know what? I'm thinking you may have a picture. There's a picture, or it should have been, I'm sure. I played in Magic's last Midsummer Night's Magic before he passed it to Baron and Paul Pierce.
2: With the white uniforms it, at UCLA, that one?
1: No, not UCLA. It was at the Forum, probably.
2: At the Forum? forum? Yeah. It, the,
1: it was probably 2000. Three, four.
2: All right, I got to. I got to look. I got all
1: Yeah, the, but there was a yeah. picture with Magic. It would maybe LeBron's rookie year, maybe.
2: Yeah, I, uh, LeBron's rookie year. Then it was Staples Center. Yeah,
1: it was Staples. It yeah. made been yeah. Staples. Okay, and Magic and didn't. Magic, was...
2: Magic didn't play in that game. No,
1: too. he was coaching that Right,
2: one. exactly.
1: Or he was on the bench, and I was sitting next to him. I always wondered if there was a picture there of us on the bench. I
2: have there. to. I have to look. I, that was the first time I met LeBron. By the way, it was at that Oh, It wow. was right after the draft. You know, and he was, yep. you know, the second coming of magic, you know.
1: And Nello <laughs> was, was there, right? Nello was there, yeah. Yeah, yeah. I, I played in that game. Oh Cameron that's cool. playing the game.
2: I gotta I gotta look. You gotta look for that. Yeah, I gotta look for it. That's <laughs> full circle, man. It's incredible. That is. Yeah. Well, Jamal, I, I got a
1: couple questions for you.
2: Uh oh. You're turning the tables on me, man.
1: If that's okay.
2: Yeah, of course. This is this Ooh. is an interactive democracy here. So yeah.
1: <laughs> first first off, who was your favorite person to shoot? This, I'm putting you on the spot. I'm sorry. You don't mm. got any favor. Give me your top three or five.
2: Oh, yeah. Well, people to shoot. I, got, I got to go with Kobe first, not only because I saw him the most, um, but the young Kobe. I mean, I but saw the young MJ the too. Yeah, but I mean, he was a dunk machine, as you remember. Oh, unbelievable! And I tell this story: if I if I come home if I came home af, after a game without maybe four or five ridiculous dunks from this guy, it was a bad night. <laughs> you
3: know? Yeah,
2: yeah. And he was just so much fun to be around, and the energy that he had, and you know, MJ of course followed very closely there, but I didn't although I did cover all of, of Michael's career in all six championships and dream team, I wasn't around him as much as I was. As much Kobe. As Kobe, right. And of course I wasn't around, you know, Michael as much as magic. And mm-hmm. unfortunately magic's career was cut short, but mm-hmm. I was there for his, well, basically his second year till he retired. And, okay. um, you know, I can't be more thankful than to be around three guys like that By career. How incredible is three that?
1: Three of my favorite players ever.
2: Yeah. I mean, yeah. you know, I've been blessed, with Jamal, with that. And then, you know, you talk about Lob City and that, that era, the Clippers. And, man, it's so close. You know, the injury oh, to Chris and that, yeah. that bizarre. Blake, yeah. yeah, the Blake injury. But that bizarre, like, hand thing when he broke his hand, remember? Reaching yeah. in. I mean, it was just. It was. It wasn't meant to be, I guess. It wasn't. Yeah. Um, but how much fun that was! That was you gave the you gave the Lakers a run for their money in this town when they we would. For yeah. Wow. Right. Yeah. For sure. Yeah. And I've right. talked to Karam Butler. You know, he played for both teams. Of right. course. You know, Lamar Odom played for both teams. I think um, Lou Williams played for both teams, right? Yeah. Matt
1: Barnes too. Matt
2: Barnes. Yeah. So yeah. Um, something special going on with the Clippers now. You know, in the Bomber mm-hmm. era, and uh, I love it. You know. The the script in LA is awesome, so it, it is. It keeps well, me, okay, keeps and then my next
1: question was your favorite three shots. Oh my favorite like three like just actual shots. That's gonna be impossible, I know. Well, you That's know like ask me my favorite three crossovers. Well so I know you Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I almost <laughs> asked you that. But uh
2: I got four kids, so at any given day, I like one of them more than the other. You know what I mean, Jamal? Yeah, okay. I understand. I understand.
3: <laughs>
2: but the one that I always point to, really, if I if I was going to be remembered for one picture in my career, it, it would have to be Jordan Michael holding the trophy. You know, Michael in the mm. locker room, 91, with his dad next to him.
1: With his hat
2: on. Yeah, crying his eyes out, hugging that trophy. Because it's just, it was just a moment in time that yeah. – you know, even at, at the time it meant something, but it has taken on right. such a significance, you know, all six championships yeah. and and the the incredible career he had. And what that photo meant to him, you know, I, I, I literally got a call from his office after his dad passed away um, asking, saying that Michael is asking for a print. Could you please send a print to him? Because wow. one of his favorite pictures. So to know that that picture is like hanging in his house or his office right. You know, means a lot to me. Um, yeah. And then you know, there's been a few other ones along the way. You know, the Mamba gave me a few. <laughs> uh, I just saw a highlight the other night of this vicious Blake dunk that I actually got a picture of. I think it was the one we like he climbed over Kendrick Perkins. Remember that?
1: Oh, yeah. You got that one, too.
2: That was sick. And uh, man, you know, LeBron. How could you discount him? Steph Curry. I mean, right. all these guys. So
1: how did does, how does yeah. your timing go into it? And be like, how do you know that's the moment? Do you feel it? Yeah, do you feel like that's the moment. You have a feel for it. That's so you it's know, that's a, a great
2: question. It. And I'll point it back to how you prepare for a game, right? right? You just don't like get in the car and show up, right? I mean, it starts. Right. It starts literally the night before, getting your sleep, the morning, preparing what you eat, what time you know, having your regimen, your routine. And, you know, it's kind of the same thing with me. It, it, even on the road, more especially, that I'm very, very regimented. But the preparation of setting up all these remote cameras and mm-hmm. having a great crew, a great couple of assistants who helped me along the way, and and having my mind clear. You know, I learned that from Kobe. Yeah. I, how many times did you see this guy during the national anthem met, be meditating while the anthem is playing? You know? I mean, I saw him do that during an NBA finals, during the Olympics. Yeah. I was like if he can do that, I can do that. And, um, you know, being prepared, but also loving what I do, of course, like you do and everybody does. Right. And, um, you know, timing is, it it comes with experience, you know, same thing with you, you know, when you can cross over a guy, when that moment is, you know, when you can make that fake, you know, and you know, your opponent's game as good as as well as, you know, your, your own game. Right. So I have to learn everybody's game. um, you know, it's it's a, like, for example, LeBron comes to the Lakers. Now, I'd shot a lot of LeBron, but I wasn't familiar with his, like, day-to-day game, you know, so I had to kind of learn that, and that's been fun. Um, and, it, you know, God willing, knock on wood, you know, I'll uh, I'll keep <laughs> loving what I do, and my timing will stay with me, and, uh, you know, when it's time to hang it up, I'll hang it up.
1: <laughs> yeah, you're, you're, like, going back, right, and looking at some of my favorite pitchers, ever some of my favorite players one example i think uh for michael jordan's come fly with me the picture they used was you yeah it's amazing like looking back at some of my favorite pictures that take me back to my childhood Mm -hmm. when i'm 10 11 12 years old dreaming about oh look at that jordan picture you were like the person who shot it it's (laughs) unbelievable like i'm like wow he shot that too like andy was there for that too yeah and it's amazing because you've almost made us all like a You put us in that moment, like even if we weren't there, you put us there, like we were flying on the wall, like Mm. literally we were in that moment with them. Yeah. And so that's a gift, man. Like it's unbelievable watching some of the things you shot. I'm like, wow, you did that too. Like I'm going back looking, like this is unbelievable.
2: Well, thank you, man. But don't don't go back to like Bill Russell and George Mikan because that was before my time.
1: (laughs) No, I won't go that far. I wasn't there then either. I went from my point on.
2: Hey, Jamal, last thing I want to talk about, and you've been incredibly generous with your time, was in the bubble and the whole experience of the league shutting down. You know, we we had just had the Jacob Blake situation, George Floyd had happened, Breonna Taylor. Um, It was a really eye-opening thing for me, personally, you know, I mean, to see really what was going on with all you guys and how much, you know how difficult it was, you know, if you can keep playing, not keep playing. Um, do you think that uh, that the social justice issues that the NBA, the players have been able to express is, has really kind of helped people like me understand what's going on and, and really appreciate what Black Lives Matter really, really means?
1: I would hope so. And I think some people like yourself have gotten it and been kind of like, wow, kind of blown away by all this stuff you know, day to day that sometimes we have to deal with. And then some people have not gotten it, right? And so it's up to all of us that have gotten it now to continue to educate the ones who have not gotten it. Mm-hmm. And then if they choose to still not get it after knowing the information, then that kind of tells you, you know, what their uh, where their moral compass is or what their belief system is. So uh, for us, I feel like it's an it's a ongoing process. It never stops. It's always about trying to push forward you know, and try to push forward the right way. And Mm -hmm. if you look at it, if you see a lot of the shirts, and I'm sure you did in the bubble, and of course they have Black Lives Matter, but a lot of them were equality. Mm -hmm. Just to say, hey, we're not trying to be ahead of anybody. We just want to be looked at as equals, you know, as a society. And and I think that's not asking too much, Mm -hmm. right? And Mm -hmm. so, you know, you continue to educate, you continue to push it forward. And when people stop talking about it, um, that's when hopefully things are how they should be mm-hmm. but if they're not talking about they're not how they should be that's the issue mm-hmm.
2: yeah well we're going to keep talking about it on this platform and i'm glad i have this platform to yes this talk is amazing about these issues so great title thank you man well jamal uh, i can't thank you enough man i mean how great is it that you and i had this time together to chat and uh, again one of my favorite guys always with a, a kind word always say hi always shake the hand when you come in the building um I don't take that for granted by the way. And, uh, right. it's just you your nature
1: true legend of sport. Well, and I, I've always been so respectful. And, and even if you weren't a legend, I would treat you the same way. But the fact you are a legend makes it 10 times cooler to see you with this platform and, and doing the things you've done. And like I said, you were the, like looking back, you were like the backdrop of my childhood of all the pictures I had on my walls and all the things I did and were able to see and dream about. So thank you.
2: Oh, thank you, Jamal. That, that is awesome. And, uh, I can't wait for this to air, and, and we'll promote it and everything. And um, man, God willing, I'll see you out there on the court somewhere. I, I really, yeah, I
1: think you will. I got a good feeling. So good, we'll see what happens. Good, good. But I'm good. definitely going to see you those pictures as well.
2: Oh, absolutely, yeah. man. You got to. <laughs> Thank you for your time, man. Thank you for being the legends of sport, the legends of sport, and being such a great friend all these years.
1: Thank you, Andy. I appreciate it.
2: All right, man. Take care.
1: All right. Talk soon.
2: Well, folks, that was such a fun conversation with the great Jamal Crawford, a true legend of sport, not only on the court for 20 years in front of my camera, but off the court as well. I love that guy, and I'm thinking positive thoughts for his return to the NBA this season. Thanks also, as always, to my producer and researcher, Veronica Ahn, and thanks everyone for continuing to download and subscribe to our podcast. A reminder, you can find us on the LA Times app and online, as well as your favorite podcast platforms, including Apple and Spotify. Please keep following us on Instagram at Legends of Sport, Twitter at Legends underscore of Sport. Our blog is legendsofsport.blog, and our TikTok and YouTube channels, Legends of Sport. You can find my photography on Instagram at Inc. So thanks, everyone. We'll be back in two weeks with another great episode. Until then... Stay safe, stay well, and wear your mask. See ya.
0: MIDI clinicians are menopause experts offering safe, effective, FDA-approved solutions covered by insurance. 91% of MIDI patients get relief from symptoms within just two months. Book your virtual visit today at joinmidi.com. Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A
2: laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire. Huh?
0: Ah. Oh.